Greetings, listeners. It is I, TV Spitzer in Farmer Days, here once again to talk to you about the Cthulhu mythos, its books, its monsters, its unfortunate human casualties, its timeline in general, and even its tangential bits, like the dreamlands or things of a weird nature that are Lovecraftian leaning. Once more we head into those dark woods, further feeling those malevolent forces upon us. Once again we walk down the lightless stone staircase in the middle of nowhere. Hey everyone, it's me, TV. Just reminding you, we have t-shirts in the shop. Just go to pgttcm.com, check out all of our cool t-shirts and stickers. Heck, we even got some shelf curtains in there. Keep clean, look cool, have cool stickers to put on stuff. Astounding Story 7, July 1930, by Various. Earth the Marauder. Beginning a three-part novel by Arthur J. Burks. Chapter 3, The Spokesman of the Gens. For a long moment, Sarka looked broodingly out across the world beyond the metalized glass which formed the curving dome of his laboratory roof. There was little that could be seen, for always the mighty cold winds, roughed with flurries of snow and particles of ice, swept over this artificial roof of the world. Here and there huge portions of the area within the range of his normal vision were swept clear and clean of snow and ice, and looked bluely, bitterly cold and hostile. Without the Sarka belts, people who ventured forth from their hives would instantly freeze to the consistency of marble in those winds and storms. For the people of Earth had built their monster habitation toward the stars until they reached up into the altitude of perpetual cold. Only under that gleaming roof was their warmth, Many of the men and women and children who had lost in their now century-old fight for survival had merely been tossed out of their hives. A painless, swift death, but each death in a world so highly specialized that each crowned person fitted into his niche naturally and easily was a distinct loss, not much perhaps, but enough for the loss to be felt. Sarka, closing his eyes for a moment as though to shut out a horror which in his mind he could visualize, turned back to the revolving barrel, in which he kept in constant touch with all parts of the world at will. It must be done, he muttered. I must take action. It means the loss of thousands, perhaps millions of lives, in such a war as the mind of man hasn't hitherto conceived but for a cause greater than any which has ever hitherto been an excuse for armed conflict. But I must discuss it with the spokesman of the gens. On the table before Sarka was a row of very colored lights, whose source was beneath the floor of the laboratory, out of the heart of the master mountain. Part of the intricate machinery of this laboratory which had been almost twenty centuries in the perfecting. In the dwelling place of each of the spokesmen was a single light, colored like one of the lights on Sarka's table. To speak with any one of the spokesmen Sarka had but to dim the properly colored light by covering it with the palm of his hand. 
The light in the home of the thus signal spokesman was dimmed, and the spokesman would know that Sarka desired to converse with him. Sarka noted the blue light and shuddered, for if he covered it with his palm it would summon Dalis, a great scientist, but an erratic one, as Sarka the first had so clearly shown. Sarka turned again to the barrel, the area of which Dalis was spokesman was, roughly speaking, that part of what had once been the Pacific Ocean, north of a line drawn east and west through the southernmost of the Hawaiian Islands, northward to the Pole. The home of Dalis was in the heart of what had once been an island historians claimed had been called Wahoo. Now a mountain peak still retaining a hint of the pre-discovery name Ohi. The total number of the spokesmen, the oldest of Earth's inhabitants, was twelve, and the remainder of the Earth not under the tutory rule of Dalis was divided up among the other eleven spokesmen. Cleric, for example, father of Jaska, was spokesman of that area which men had once called Asia, the vast valleys of the once Indian Ocean and the Mediterranean, while the youngest of the spokesmen, in a manner serving his apprenticeship, was tutory head of the vast plateau once called Africa. The name of this man was Gerd. He, at least, thought Sarka thinking of each spokesman in turn and cataloging each in his mind, will be with me. I wonder about the others, and especially Dalis. He has always hated us. Then, with the air of a man who has made up his mind and crosses his particular Rubicon in a single step, Sarka rose to his feet and passed along the row of very colored lights covering each one with his hand in rapid succession. Then he sat down again, almost holding his breath, and waited. As he stared at the row of lights, his eyes lingered longest on two which were almost golden in color, and his face was very gentle, almost reverent, for those two lights were signals to Sarka the first and Sarka the second, his grandfather and his father. It was Dalis, the irascible, the fire-tempered, the erratic, who first made answer. Yes, what is it now? Sarka smiled a trifle grimly as he spoke a single word. Wait. The voice of Dalis, which Sarka had good cause to remember, had sounded as loudly in the laboratory as though Dalis had been present there in person, for man had learned to communicate by voice almost without the aid of radio and its appurtenances, though the principle upon which the first crude beginnings of radio were fashioned still applied. Each man's dwelling place was both a sender and a receiver, and men could talk and be talked to no matter where they lived. Individuals telepathically summoned a desire of anyone wishing verbal contact. Gird is here, came the voice of that spokesman. To him also Sarka spoke one word. Wait. I'm here, Sarka, came a musical voice. And Jaska is with me, listening. That would be cleric, loyal friend, master scientist, but always shy of contact with people, though swift to anger and self-forgetfulness when he knew himself right and was opposed. Sarka darted a look back at the revolving barrel, adjusted swiftly the barrel microscope, and smiled into the faces of Jaska and Cleric, who looked enough alike that they might have been brother and sister, though Cleric had been born ten centuries before his daughter Jaska, 
They smiled back at him. He shifted the barrel microscope and stared for a second at Dalis. There in the barrel, and marked the antagonism Dalis was at no pains to hide. One by one the spokesmen reported. Clazer from the Americas. Durs from the valleys of the vanished Atlantic. Bowler from that part of the Arctic Circle not included in the wedge which the Jans of Dalis thrust northward to the pole. Vardy, Prull, Utah, Eyal, Vance, and Heim. Each from his appointed area, each from the official headquarters of his Jans. The name given to those people who acknowledged the tutelage of a spokesman. Each spokesman, therefore, was the mouthpiece of millions of men, women, and children. And over the spokesmen, and not themselves spokesmen, were three scientists, the Sarkas first, second, and third. When all twelve of the spokesmen had reported and been bidden by Sarka to wait, a smile touched the face of Sarka for an instant as two other voices so nearly alike they might have been the voice of a single person reported themselves. I'm here, son. What is it? Oddly enough, Sarka's father and grandfather reported with exactly the same words. Sarka smiled at a whimsical thought of his own. It had been some time since the three scientists Sarkas had been together, and despite the vast differences in their ages, they might have been triplets. The reports were in and the spokesmen were waiting, but for almost a minute Sarka waited still. Then he spoke swiftly those words for which there could be no recall. Gentlemen, the time has come when we must go to war. For a long moment after he had spoken, there was no answer. Then it came, and the jeering laughter of the antagonistic Davis. War? Against whom? The Sarkas are always dreaming. And Davis, continued Sarka, shall be one of the leaders of Earthlings in this war which I am about to propose. You doubtless recall a proposal you once made to Sarka the first? Your proposal to hold for a few moments the headlong world of the Earth about its axis, thus to flood... Stop! interrupted Davis. Stop immediately! And Sarka stopped. He had forgotten, in the excitement of his urge to explain his plans, that the millions of people who have official allegiance to Dalis had never been informed of the hideous proposal he had made back there centuries ago, as a corrective for a world rapidly approaching overpopulation. Had his people known, never again would the voice of Dalis be heard in life. The spokesman knew, and the Sarkas, but no others. Sarka understood the protest of Dalis, honored it. Dalis, he went on more softly, after I have explained what I wish to do, you will come to me here, prepared to explain to me exactly how you plan doing what you propose to my grandfather, for your knowledge will be necessary to me. Isn't it enough that your grandfather stole from me and amplified an idea that would have made me forever famous, without his grandson also stealing the fruit of my brains? Your brains, said Sarka sharply, belong to your people. What I plan is for their betterment, but it means war, war which may last century, two centuries, in which lives of countless thousands may be lost. Sarka's last words were almost drowned out by the humming sound that came out of the rolling barrel, that perfected device which was the ultimate in the evolution of television and vibration transference. 
Sarko's heart sank, for he knew the meaning of that sound. So did the spokesman. You see, came the rasping voice of Dalis. You hear? Look into your barrel. See the clenched fists of the Earth's mirrors being shaken at you. Listen to the protests of millions who hear you every word. See what Earthlings think of the prospect of war. For a moment Sarka spoke directly to the people. Be silent and listen. It will be war, yes, but not such a skulking, hideous war as you wage among yourselves for a place to live. You, fathers, are guilty of slaying your sons, you sons of slaying your fathers, merely by thrusting them forth from their hives into the outer cold. This war I propose shall be a war that shall match your manhood, if you indeed be man. Listen to me, and I will find for you new lands to conquer, new homes for your holding, if you can take them. But where, interrupted the sarcastic voice of Davis, are these new lands of which you speak? Inside the earth? Already our hives reach into the earth a distance of eight miles. Where else, then? For shame, Davis, snapped Sarka, and you a scientist. Every bit of habitable land on this globe is some man's dwelling place. Spokesman of the gens of Earth, look out your windows, look out and upward, and read Dalis answering the stars. For a full minute there was silence throughout the Earth, and Sarka saw that the spokesmen were doing his bidding. He himself looked out, out through the swirling storm which tore at the crest of Himalayas, a dark and forbidding outside, in the star dome of which rode the pale orbed moon. It's obvious, son, came the voice of Sarka the first. What do you mean? But how accomplish it? Fifteen centuries ago, my father's father, cried Sarka, Dalis told you that he possessed the power to hold for a moment the headlong world of the world on its axis, about the sun. He could do it then, and no man, whatever he may think of Dalis as a man, has ever known him to lie. If fifteen centuries ago he could bring the world in one to pause, why can we not now? And even though he had thought of this for years upon end, had spoken over and over to himself the words he was now using, rehearsing his proposed argument to the spokesmen of the gens, Sarka found himself for a moment almost afraid to continue and speak them. I understand, Sarka, came the excited voice of Gerd, Jonas of the spokesman, and I follow wherever you think it best to lead. You mean, you mean... Exactly, Sarka managed at last. If the Earth can be stayed on its axis, it can be diverted from its orbit entirely. I know, for I have found the manner of its doing, though I need the genius of Dalis to check my work and my calculations. We have no new land on this Earth to conquer. But the universe is filled with countless other worlds. What say you, spokesmen of the gens? What say you, gens of Earth? But for the time of thousand harbits, neither the spokesmen or the gens made answer to Sarka, and all the world fell utterly silent, absorbing this unbelievable thing of which Sarka had hinted. Over the metalized roof of the world, the snows and storms, the winds and the wraiths of the long dead, moaned and screamed, as with an icy voice of abysmal warning. And for the time of those thousand heartbeats, the world was pausing to listen. 
When realization came, the answer would come from the spokesman and from the Gens. And here in the Sarka laboratory, his Rubicon crossed at last, said Sarka, staring through the barrel microscope into the depths over the revolving barrel. His face was dead white. His eyes narrowed. The first voice which came startled him. It's mad, Sarka. Mad, mad, but I am with you always. It was the voice of Jaska, daughter of Cleric. Chapter 4 The Earthlings Make Ready I too am with you, came the voice of Gerd. Spoken like a child, snapped Dalis. For you are as much a child as this third of the dreaming Sarkas. The scheme is mad, madder even than Jaska intimates. The scheme I once proposed in which I was cheated by the grandfather of this madman, was times and times more feasible and practicable. Suppose, came the soft voice of Sarka I, interrupting Dalis, that you put the matter up to your gens, O wise and noble Dalis, and see which scheme they would endorse if given the choice in the matter, and why are schemes still possible? This quickly silenced the vituperation of Dalis but in no wise prevented his continuance as a rather loud antagonist of the plan. How, he demanded, can you return the Earth to its orbit, even granting you are able to take this initial step? How keep life on the Earth during its flight on this rainbow-chasing voyage you propose? All these things have been taken into consideration, O Dalis, retorted Sarka. All of my scheme is practicable as I think you will agree when I have told you its details. What think you of the plan, Clazer? And you, Dos? Boller? Vardy? Prul? Yuta? Eal? Vance? Haim? When the spokesman had answered, some of them hesitantly, for the people all this time had remained silent, and none of the spokesmen could be sure how his own gents would feel in the matter, it developed that seven of the spokesmen were for the scheme if it should prove to be possible. If this is the voice of the majority of the gens, snapped Dalis, given thus by their spokesman, then I vote with the majority. I shall call upon you immediately, Sarka, for a conference. I am glad, said Sarka softly, that the majority of the spokesmen are with me. Especially am I glad that Dalis and Cleric vote with me. For the others I have only this to say. I have thought this matter over for almost a century, and I know that the time has come when we must act, to save ourselves from self-destruction. Had you not decided with me, I should have acted alone. Yes? snapped Dalis. How? I have here in my laboratory, replied Sarka, the power whereby to accomplish the scheme of which I have told you. Had all the gens defied me, I would have nevertheless sent the Earth outward on its voyage, bringing it within reach of the denizens, first of the Moon, second of Mars, and you people of little courage would have been compelled to fight to save yourselves. You would have forced us into war? came the quavering voice of Prull, the first spokesman aside from Dalis, to take active part in the discussion. Then why? If you had the means in the beginning to enforce your will upon us, confer with us at all. Sarka thrilled with satisfaction, for this question gave him the excuse he sought. He had been wondering and scheming how to compel the spokesman of the chance to obey his will. I wanted your opinions, he said shortly, 
but I also wish you to know that I have the power to go on, whether you wish it or not, and you must obey me. How would the twelve gens take this ultimatum of Sarka? For breathless moments after he had spoken, he waited, and the spokesman with him. Then came the voice of Cleric, addressing his people, yet leaving the context open so that Sarka and the other spokesmen might hear. What say you, O genes of Cleric? he cried, his voice an exultant, clarion in pain of rejoicing. Do we follow this man who promises us life again? Do we follow this man who promises us that once again we shall dwell in plenty, without the blood of relatives and neighbors on our hands? Answer this man, O Jens, for I say unto you that wheresoever he leads, I would follow him. Silence for a heartbeat. Then a murmuring like the sound of the waves of the long-vanished sea sounded in the laboratory, wherein all things were seen, all sounds were heard. A monster voice, loud and savage, from the gens of Cleric. We follow Cleric wherever he leads. Finally the words became intelligible. It matters not to us whom Cleric follows, so long as we may follow Cleric. Well spoken, O gens of Cleric, snapped Sarka when the murmuring died down to a whisper, then faded out entirely. Deck yourselves in the white garments of Cleric, emblazon upon your backs and breast the red lily of his house. Prepare for war. These are your orders. The details I leave to Cleric. There came the voice Dalis. Give your orders to my gents direct, O Sarka, rasped Dalis, for I leave this very moment to come to you. Thank you, said Sarka, a great wave of exultation sweeping over him. He had expected Dalis to be the last and most difficult to manage. Then to the gents of Dalis, at the blue light on the table in the laboratory, showed Sarka that Dalis was already winning toward him. Deck yourselves in the green garments of Dalis, wear as you insinue the yellow star of his house, and prepare for war. Make new and modern ray directors, refurbish your rotting machines of destruction, make ready and make haste. For the gens of Dalis will be the first of all the gens to move and attack against the dwellers outside. When the time comes, I shall tell you where you shall dwell. If you win the land, I shall show you. The humming of myriad voices inside the laboratory was now almost continuous, but ever the words of Sarka went out to the spokesman and to the gens, though, save in the case of Cleric and of Dalis, he didn't speak to the gens direct, because he didn't wish in one iota to usurp the authority of the spokesmen themselves. But when less than an hour had passed, he realized that the first step had been successfully taken, and that from now on the success or failure of the scheme rested in his own hands. Perspiration bedewed his forehead, and for a second he prayed. God of our fathers, grant that we be not mistaken, grant that we be right in what we plan, grant that success attend our arms, grant that this scheme of mine lead us not to catastrophe, for if this should develop, only I am guilty and only I should be punished. Amen. As one voice the spokesman of the gens spoke the word, and Sarka heard it. He had forgotten for the moment that the spokesman still could hear him. That is all, he said huskily. Prepare your gens, each of you, 
for such battle as even our histories never have recorded. For we go against foemen whose strength we don't know, whose manner of life we don't know, and we must not fail. Make haste with your preparations. Your time is short. And spokesmen, counsel your gents that they put aside at once all personal differences, all family quarrels and quarrels with their neighbors, that each adult individual, each unmarried woman, and such married women as have all their children grow, and who no longer need them, prepare to go forth to battle. From this laboratory, within a brief space, Dalys and the Sarkas will give you a further word. Then he dimmed the lights, and severed contact with the spokesman of the gens. Only two lights he didn't dim at the moment, and to two men he spoke softly. My father and my father's father, come to me at once, for there shall be need of the combined genius of the Sarkas if my scheme is to succeed. From both Sarkas, as though they had rehearsed the words against this need of them, came answer, As soon we come. From that moment on until Dalys and the Sarkas were ready to take the most momentous step ever taken in the history of the world, the humming within the laboratory didn't cease. For the people, the millions and billions of people of the hives, were busy, eagerly and feverishly busy, preparing new armament, new engines of destruction, against the time when there should be need of them. And for perhaps the first time in centuries, the people were happy. For not even the passage of a thousand centuries, of a thousand thousand centuries, could flush from the warm hearts of men the love of conflict. Sarka smiled wanly, his face very pale. He had spoken, his people were busy with preparations, and now there could be no turning back. The world, when he spoke the word, would rush outward to glorious conflict or to destruction. A buzzer sounded near the exit dome. Sarka raced to give the enter signal, and Dalys, he of the hog eyes, the sharp nose and sharper tongue, entered the presence of that man who, in a twinkling, had made himself master of the world. Well, he said harshly, I'm here. What do you wish of me? We, Sarkas, said Sarka easily, wish to assure ourselves that you will do nothing to obstruct our plans. Dalys of the gents of Dalys, you are prisoner of the Sarkas until you have passed your word. That I will never do, said Dalys calmly. I have passed my word to go forward with you, but I meant, and you knew I meant, to go forward only as far as to me seemed right and reasonable. End of section 4I'm Rob Poynton from the Innsmouth Book Club. Join me and my fellow guide John Chadwick as we take you on a fortnightly tour of Innsmouth. We visit places such as the Picture House, the Library and Innsmouth Museum to discuss all aspects of weird fiction, whether it be book, film, music, TV or art. As well as that we stop over at the Gilman House to have a chat with a resident guest 
that includes authors, artists, musicians, in fact, Lovecraftian creatives of all types. You can find our free shows on Patreon, and there you can also sign up as a patron, which brings you bonus content, plus a monthly PDF copy of Innsmouth News, which features articles, author spotlights, all the latest news and reviews, and more. You can find us at patreon.com forward slash Innsmouth BC. We hope to see you soon, because remember, Innsmouth isn't just a place, it's a state of mind. Thank you once again for listening to People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. You can help show your support by going to the show notes and following any of the links that'll tell you how to support the show and how to support our guests. And thank you to all of our guests who you can find in the show notes. Rate, review, subscribe, and remember, patrons get priority access to asking us questions, suggesting topics, even, I don't know, uh, submitting stuff. Actually, you don't have to be a patron to submit anything. That's how Dave got on the show, and that's how you can get on the show, too. It's the People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. Rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends. Thank you for listening. Back to the show. Prepare for a spine-tingling, nerve-shattering podcast featuring all your favorite monsters. You won't believe your ears when you listen to Monster Kid Radio. Hear your host, Derek M. Cook, and his ever-rotating stable of guests discuss your favorite classics and sometimes not-so-classic monster movies. Subscribe to Monster Kid Radio through iTunes or Stitcher, or visit monsterkidradio.net before the next weekly episode of Monster Kid Radio. Go through the archives for interviews with Sarah Karloff, Victoria Price, and Joel Hodson. Listen to discussions about movies like Creature from the Black Lagoon, Island of Terror, and King Kong. And don't forget convention coverage from Monster Bash and the H.P. Lovecraft Film Festival, Classic Monsters, Modern Talk, and The Head of Rondo Hatton, only on Monster Kid Radio. Yeah. <laughs>